0: Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Everybody, this is Petey. Thanks for joining me again for another show of petrifaction. It's gonna be another great show today. I have on hand for you stories about Pascagoula. Now Pascagoula 1973 was a place and a time when a UFO incident occurred that made national news because the abductees, for one of a better word or they they actually went to the police after their encounter. And the police had hidden microphones in a room and basically recorded their conversations. And they thought, of course, that these two guys were just full of baloney. But it turns out that um, after hearing the recordings in the room, the police kind of changed their minds. So this is their story. It's about A little bit about the Pascagoula incident of 1973, and also the UFO flap of 1973 in general. Did you know there were a lot of places that had lots of sightings that year? Um, They considered a flap, which just means that there were multiple witnesses, multiple places. So we'll we'll cover that a little bit too. With that, we're going to get into the show and get started. No sense in waiting to hear all the good stuff. So, thanks for tuning in. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For those of you not really familiar with the Pascagoula Abduction, it occurred October eleventh, 1973, and it involved two men, a 19-year-old Calvin Parker and a 42-year-old Charles Hickson. Now, Parker and Hickson were working together. They were co-workers. But before becoming co-workers, which had only happened literally that week, the two were actually acquainted. Mr. Hickson was very good friends with Parker's father. And Mr. Parker was friends with Mr. Hickson's son. And in fact, Mr. Hickson helped get Parker a a position working and helped him start his career because Mr. Parker was getting married shortly and his goal was to be able to support his wife and have a family shortly. Mr. Parker was staying with Mr. Hickson and after work being in Mississippi near the Pascagoula River they just decided they were going to go out and uh, and Just enjoy the evening for a few hours before they had to go to bed and, you know, get up and start the workday again. What happened was while they were out fishing, they heard a buzzing noise behind them. And the men turned and were terrified to see a 10-foot-wide, 8-foot-high glowing egg-shaped object with blue lights hovering just above the ground about 40 feet from the riverbank where they were fishing. The men were frozen with fright. They watched a door appear in the object and three strange beings floated out just above the river towards them. It was like they floated. The men were abducted by these beings and then later returned. Once upon returning, they were extremely upset. They were going to not report this sighting but they had lost time Uh, they kind of did remember being taken anyway so it wasn't like they didn't know what happened they knew they were taken and they were freaking out so they decided in the end after calming themselves with some drinks they went to the police and the police of course didn't believe them one of the cornerstones of this case is that the police after interviewing them both separately for a few hours they put them in a room together and recorded a private conversation. Now Parkin, Parker and Hickson had no idea if they were being recorded. And the things they had said in this room with no one else present except a hidden tape recorder basically backed up their story. And they would have no reason to lie while they were in this room. They would have no reason to believe they were being taped. So it just kind of bolstered what they said. And also, the police contacted the Air Force Base near them and actually had the men tested for radiation and different and different things. And um, whether or not the police believed their story, I, I don't know. But the fact they took them to an Air Force Base, and the Air Force Base agreed to do testing on them for radiation, kind of is... Suggestive to me that something really did happen with them. So that's a nutshell, real quick review of what happened with Pascagoula. There are several books and movies regarding it. If you're interested in that and finding out more, I do encourage you to look that up and take a peek at it. Back in 1973, the world experienced what is now referred to as a UFO flap many nations. It wasn't just a U.S. thing, although a plenty amount of sightings occurred in the United States, but the flap itself was worldwide. I'll give an example. This is through NICAP's website, and it's of just some of the sightings that were reported in 1973 and just throw it out there on October 11th of 1973. um, It was the the abduction that came from Mississippi, the Pascagoula abduction, and that was the Parker Hickson abduction, which is quite well known in UFO fields. So that took place in 1973. There were so many, so many cases of people experiencing UFOs that year. So I'm going to just do a couple of them. began in January 1st in Chile and people reported seeing green lights and flashing red lights fly over cars causing car engines to fail and January 2nd the first in the States happened in Santa Ana California. There were multiple witnesses of a large oval shaped object that uh, had a dome covering on the top. And they all witnessed a metallic, silvery, gray in color, elliptical in shape object. And they explained it to be like two saucers fastened rim to rim. And from there, it goes to China, New Zealand. Australia, and in February we come back to the United States with a couple different sightings in California and Illinois, and then the UK or England, all sorts of different places. Some of the states that experienced things in February of 1973 Missouri and Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Illinois, California, Rhode Island, and the list goes on and on. There were many, many, many sightings in 1973. What started out as a busy year culminated in October of, of 1973 with mass sightings all across the United States. And when I say mass sightings, I believe there were... I believe I read there were 96 sightings in the States in 1973. And uh, 56 of them occurred in October alone. Or it might have been um, the fall. The fall, I'm sorry, it was. It was the fall. In the fall of 1973, there were 96 sightings reported to NICAP from September to December. And 56 of them occurred in October. So it was very busy in October. And just some of the places that did have sightings in October included other nations as well. The Netherlands had their own sightings as Australia and France did. But Ohio, Florida, Kentucky, Illinois... Indiana, Tennessee, Missouri, California, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Canada had sightings, Ohio, uh, Mississippi, of course. So, as you can see, I mean, there were lots of sightings. And for, I wouldn't even know what the number would be, but for every sighting reported, there are probably multitudes of sightings that go unreported. Because even more so than it is now, back in 1973, you didn't report a UFO sighting. Mm -hmm. If you had a sighting, you were crazy and it really and honestly could affect your job. If you had some sort of job in a hospital and you reported such things, you might be a loose cannon. And you might have to be rethunked for your position, you know. I hate to say this, but it happened. Anyway, back to 1973 and the flap that occurred. This comes from a viewer who had a family member that witnessed something terrifying that was in fact unreported in 1973. So we'll get on to that story in a minute after this short break. In 1973, the United States was experiencing what has been referred to as a UFO flap. This is a story from a listener who wishes to remain anonymous. So names and story location have been changed to protect the privacy of the witnesses as well as those involved with the UFO sighting. This sighting was never reported when it occurred. But family members who knew of the incident have decided to come forth with the story. This comes from one of our listeners. It was Labor Day weekend in Cimbria, Pennsylvania and the boys, Mark and Sean, were fishing at a pond less than 100 yards from Sean's house. Mark lived up the street just a little bit further. And this was an activity that the boys did often. Though small, the pond was well stocked and the fishing was good. It was a great way to spend some time in a sleepy village located in west central Pennsylvania. Sean was 17 that year and Mark had just turned 16. While just lazily sitting along the banks of the pond, Sean noticed the shadow, and he found that odd since it was a practically cloudless summer day. He looked up and was startled to see what could only be called a flying saucer. It was shiny, silver, and huge. It was nearly as big as the pond itself, which was about the size of a football field. Its size was incredible and very frightening as it seemed to be approaching the location where the boys were standing along the bank. Sean cut out to his buddy Mark, telling him to look up. And they both stared at the object, terrified but unable to move. It was about 300 feet above them and slowly moving over, roughly to the center of the waterway and coming down. It was soundless. According to Sean, it looked like the bottom of the thing was starting to open up, like a hatch or a doorway of some kind was rotating open, and it was then that the flight response kicked in hard. Both he and Mark fled, running as fast as they could, heading for Sean's house. They ran through a field of weeds behind them and then through a neighbor's yard, taking a shortcut to the house. Sean was a much faster runner and made it to the house, just as a car was coming down the street. Inside the car was Sean's parents, who had been grocery shopping. Bill and Peggy, Sean's parents, had also witnessed the craft. They'd seen it as they turned onto the street, and it was drifting silently to the right as they came down the street heading south. They could see it gliding over the pond. "'Peggy said of it. "'How could something so huge just be gliding along in the air like that?' "'She found herself baffled and a little frightened as well. "'They saw their son running from behind their neighbor's house near the pond, "'and as they parked the car they met the boys in the driveway "'where all four of them watched the flying saucer float over the pond. "'It continued on, flying roughly in a southerly direction,' heading right over a barn that contained several cows in a pasture. They watched as it disappeared over a hill. Bill remarked that it floated like a balloon, but it was clearly some kind of craft. He described it as shiny like polished silver and about a hundred feet in diameter, moving slowly and silently through the air only a few hundred feet off the ground. Sean and Mark told Peggy and Bill about how it looked like it was going to open up, and they asked them what it was trying to do. Nobody had an answer, but it scared the boys badly. Sean told his parents he'd been afraid it was going to snatch him up when he saw the bottom of it start to open. He felt sure it was going to take them, and that was when he ran. Sean had horrible nightmares about this thing for weeks to come and after a few a few short conversations with his parents he refused to speak of the incident again. This story comes from Shelly W. Sean's sister who knew of the story from it being told by her mother, Peggy who also witnessed the UFO. Sean never spoke of it to Shelley, but she recalled that Frequently that fall, Sean would have nightmares and scream in his sleep. So I am going to go over a few of the different places that had sightings in 1973. I'm going to begin in October 10th of 1973. Because the big one was October 11th, 1973, when the Pascagoula abduction occurred, or allegedly occurred, however you want to put it, but uh, a lot of people who have interviewed and spoke with, uh, I believe it's Parker who's still alive, I'm not sure, Parker Hickson, that he seems so incredibly credible, and honestly, in the last 50 years, he hasn't made much money over this, so... It's not, it's not like it's made him rich. He's tried to keep to himself. There are reasons why there are folks out there who actually believe his story is legit. So, back in October of 1973, near Dayton, Ohio, there were multitudes of sightings. There were at least 15 sightings of unidentified flying objects over. that were over the land. They were seen as red, green, and blue lights. They zoomed on the top of the trees. They were just above tree level. So this is quite low. The UFOs sighted in the Dayton, Cincinnati area were all classified as unofficial by Wright-Patterson Air Force Base officials. Back in 1973, I believe the Air Force was still doing some Investigations of UFOs, even though they said they weren't. I think that kind of did happen because, in a lot of these stories, you have officials from Air Force bases commenting. Maybe it was because of the past Blue Book incidents, where the Air Force was your reporting agency, that they were, you know, they're trying to get out of it. The Air Force was, so maybe it was just that people didn't have anywhere to go. And so they were still contacting Air Force bases and what have you to try to figure out what they're seeing. So anyway, the Air Force actually, even though there were multiple sightings in Dayton, and it was very much close to uh, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, they didn't detect any radar signatures. But the fact of the matter is, these lights, these craft, were seen just over treetop level, and it's very unlikely that they would have been able to see anything at all on radar that low. There were no balloons or helicopters or kites of any kind in the area, and what the witnesses say is that these lights went quickly straight up in direction and were gone and vanished in just seconds. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd.petrifaction at at protonmail.com and remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories. And friends, be prepared to be petrified.